You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're journeying with Jesus through the book of Luke and just uh, hitting on some of his teachings and some of the things he did that, uh, especially that teach us how to follow him. And uh, we'll look at some more of his teaching this morning from Luke chapters 19 and 20. The past few years, as you may have heard, there's been a lot of concern uh, at the uh, federal government level over the frequent failure of China's government to protect intellectual property rights of products or entertainment developed by Americans and in other countries too. You may have heard about that in the news. And since the pandemic began, there have been concerns over the plight of property owners who are struggling to uh, make ends meet or to be able to keep their properties because so many of their tenants are out of work and cannot pay their rent. Well, behind both of these concerns is a principle that is very important to our society and that is very biblical as well. And that principle is this. Those who own something, who work hard to build it or who provide it to others, have the right to receive an appropriate income from it. Whether that be films or new technologies or an apartment you provide for someone to live in or an office that you rent out for a business to use, whatever it might be. Doesn't that principle also apply to God? Shouldn't God also receive the benefits of what is rightfully His? The temple in Jerusalem in Jesus' time belonged to God. It was built for Him. It was dedicated to Him as a place for people to worship Him. But when Jesus came to the temple a few days before His crucifixion, He he had every right to expect to see people worshiping God, honoring God, giving God the the fruits of, uh, of what he had provided to his people, this place of worship. But instead, he found people actually dishonoring God in God's own temple. So let's read this story, Luke 19, verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words." Jesus came into the temple courts on this day and he found ungodly conduct there. God was being dishonored as his house of worship was transformed into a market, commercialized into a den of robbers. Now it was all done in the name of faithful worship. The other other gospel writers tell us that doves and possibly cattle and sheep were being sold there at the temple courts. So these were sacrificial animals that were there to provide for the masses of people coming in for the Passover festival so that they would have animals they could buy that had been certified by the priests as pure and unblemished and suitable for sacrifice 
to God. But these animals could have been sold elsewhere. The sale of them was turning God's house of worship into a market and probably one designed to make a lot of money for the family of the high priest who controlled the temple grounds. We, we uh, think that probably the high priest, uh, high priest and his family were uh, taking a percentage of the sales for themselves. Thus, as Jesus said, God's house of prayer had become a den of robbers. So Jesus, acting like a prophet or a king, standing up for God in his honor, drove out those who were selling in the temple courts. But the Jewish leaders were offended by Jesus when he did this. They saw him as an intruder and a threat, and they wanted to kill him if they could find a way to do it. Before long, they made an attempt to discredit him in front of the crowds at the temple because if they could discredit him, turn the people against him, then they could arrest him and do away with him. So they made an attempt to discredit him. It's the very next story, Luke 20 and verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things? They said, who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, then... All the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. In front of all the people there in the temple courts, the Jewish leaders challenged Jesus' authority. But he turned their question around and revealed their duplicity. They hadn't followed John the Baptist. And so even if Jesus' authority came from God, they weren't going to follow Jesus either. Because they weren't following God. Or else they would have followed John. And they would not have turned God's house of prayer into a market. The temple belonged to God. But those in charge of it were denying God some of the glory that was rightfully his there. They did this by using the temple to make money for themselves and by making it harder for people to worship there. And what was happening at the temple was a microcosm of what was happening throughout Israel. And we see this by reflecting back on what we've already learned from the Gospel of Luke. Wherever Jesus has gone, Israel's leaders have claimed to follow God but by their actions, they have often denied him. Jesus pointed out earlier in Luke how religious leaders like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law gave very, a very detailed tenth tithe of uh, what they had, even down to the smallest herbs. But they neglected the bigger issues of justice and the love of God. We saw earlier in this lesson series that they required strict observance of the Sabbath presumably to honor God. But they required such strict observance that when God gave Jesus power to heal people on the Sabbath day, 
they actually tried to stop Jesus from healing on the Sabbath day. And of course, their greatest insult toward God emerges again right here in our text today. They wanted to kill Jesus, the very man God sent to them to call them to change their ways and honor God at his own temple. In response to them, Jesus speaks a parable, and this is verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. This parable Jesus tells is the story of unfair treatment of a landowner, but really it's a story of unfair treatment of God. The landowner rents out his property in good faith, Normally, the uh, rent that a a landowner would receive uh, for renting out his farmland would be a share of the crop, a certain percentage when the crop comes in. This owner, when he sends his servant to collect his rightful share, uh, finds that the tenants refuse to give it to his servant. In verse 10, Jesus says, they beat that first servant and they send him away empty-handed. Well, so he, he tries again. He sends a second servant In verse 11, but the tenants beat him too. They treat him shamefully. They send him away empty-handed. And so in verse 12, the, the owner tries again. He sends a third servant. And at this point, if I'm listening to this story, I want to jump up and say, wait, this is ridiculous. Why does he keep trying? He knows what's going to happen to this third servant. If I'm the third servant, I might rather, you know, accidentally break my foot so that I don't have to go and confront these people knowing what they're going to do to me. And they do. They wound the third servant and throw him out of the vineyard that his master owns. Well, with this story, Jesus is recounting some of the history of Israel, God's relationship with them. 
especially some of the saddest parts over the last 900 years before his time. So many times Israel had done evil against God and God had repeatedly sent his servants, the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, like Hosea and Amos, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and so many others. God had sent these servants, the prophets, to call his people to turn back to God and give him the fruit that was rightfully his. His vineyard was Israel. And the fruit he wanted was godly living, obedience to his commands, giving him the honor that he deserves as our creator and our God. God had sent one prophet after another over the centuries, the last of these prophets before Jesus had been John the Baptist. But a local ruler had executed John the Baptist. And in the same way, the prophets of old were often rejected, mistreated, sometimes killed by people and authorities and rulers who supposedly followed God but actually defied him. It happened so many times, in fact, that after a while, we have to wonder, Lord, why did you keep trying? Yet God did keep trying. He tried and tried and tried to reach the people of Israel, much as he keeps trying and trying and trying to reach people today. Finally, in the story, the owner of the vineyard sends one more person, the son whom he loves. Perhaps they will respect him, he says. But they don't. The tenants see him coming, and they talk together, and they decide to get rid of the son and to take the vineyard for themselves. And so they grab him, they throw him out of the vineyard, and they kill him. Jesus is telling his own story now, not about the past, but about the very near future. After sending so many prophets, God is trying one more time. He has now sent Israel the very best he has, his own son, whom he loves, Jesus. And just a few days after Jesus tells this story, the leaders of Israel, together with the leaders of the Gentiles, will kill Jesus. So Jesus closes his parable with a question and an answer. The question, after all this, after the tenants have repeatedly refused to give the owner what it is, after they've beaten his servants and now killed his son, what will the owner of the vineyard do to these evil tenants? Jesus is really asking what God will do. And the answer is obvious. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. What else can God do but judge the wicked for their wickedness if he reaches out to them again and again and again and they refuse to change their ways? And the people who are listening to Jesus at the temple totally get the point of the parable. They cry out, God forbid! Because they don't want God's judgment to fall upon Israel, his vineyard, his tenants. But it will if the Jews and their leaders continue to defy God. This is the warning in this parable. If God's people, whom he has blessed, defy him, he will bring judgment upon them. Jesus quotes a line from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
In the context of this parable, that line means the person who is rejected and killed in the story is the very person God himself chose. And anyone who stands against the person God has chosen will be broken to pieces because the authority of God himself stands behind this person. And that person, of course, is Jesus, God's son. Well, the religious leaders understand the parable too. Luke says in verse 19 that they looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. They understand that Jesus is warning them about God's judgment, but they reject the parable. And instead of turning back to God, they just want Jesus gone all the more, but they can't arrest him. Not yet. Because the people are present and the people love him. And so they will watch for an opportunity to take him into custody secretly when there are no crowds to rally to his defense. And with the help of Judas Iscariot, in a few days, they will find their opportunity. Well, this is a a lesson about stewardship, this parable Jesus tells. That when we who... Uh, have received the blessing of God's kindness and are stewards in his kingdom uh, and among his people, stewards of his blessings in all their wide variety. When we get to enjoy the sweet fruits of God's vineyard, we have an obligation to pay God the good fruit that he is due. If he rents a vineyard to us, we must give him his share of the grapes. If he gives us forgiveness, if he gives us peace with God, if he gives us joy and hope, we ought to return to him the honor and appreciation that he is due as our provider and our gracious king. If he blesses us with leaders in the church, then they must see to it that he is honored in his church, that his church is not turned into some kind of commercial enterprise. And if he guides us every day so that our lives shine with his blessings, we ought to return that kindness by also blessing others, doing good for others wherever we are able. If we don't pay to the Lord what he is due, then we defy him like those tenants defied the vineyard owner, as if we owned the vineyard and he did not. The Jewish leaders to whom God had entrusted his people defied God even to the point that they crucified his son. And in time, Jesus' warning to them sadly became reality. And God took away all of their authority over his people. About 40 years after Jesus spoke this parable, God's temple that Jesus had tried to purify on this day was destroyed And Jerusalem was destroyed, and the whole Jewish power structure that surrounded the temple was eliminated. God took those tenants, those evil tenants, out of his vineyard. More profoundly, at the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church, the path for people to come to God was relocated by God from the nation of Israel to the community of the church, which in the New Testament is considered the new Israel. 
So, or, or the true Israel, maybe is a better way to say it. So that now it is not through being a Jew or following Jewish law that a person finds peace with God, but only through the authority of Jesus, God's Son, and through the community of the people who follow him. What the Jewish leaders lost, their prime place in the kingdom of God and in his purposes, we have gained. What was torn away from them because they defied the the authority of God is granted to us because we honor the authority of God. This story Jesus tells is a story of judgment and it's it's tragic, it's very sad, it's hard to find much joy in it. It's a message of warning of God's judgment on those who reject his authority and who reject his son. And that judgment did fall on the leaders of the Jewish people because they refused to listen to Jesus. Yet there is actually great joy in this message, too. It's a little bit beneath the surface, but it comes up in two ways. It sort of bubbles up in two spots. First, the love of God is relentless. The love of God is just relentless. So many times God reached out to Israel through the prophets because he loved his wayward people. He reached out to them again and again, the way the landowner in the story sends out his servants again and again, almost to the point that it's ridiculous for him to even try. But that's what God did. He reached out to his people over and over through the prophets. And today, look at how hard God works to save people from his judgment and to bring, him peace, bring them peace with him. He did not even withhold his own son, Jesus, our Savior, but sent him to us knowing what people would do to him. Like the vineyard owner, God keeps trying over and over again to heal our broken relationship with him. He so earnestly wants us to enjoy peace with him. His love is relentless, and that is good news and a source of joy for us in this story. The other source of joy in this story, Jesus said that God, the vineyard owner, would remove those wicked tenants and give the vineyard to others. The wicked tenants were the Jewish leaders and other Jews who enjoyed God's blessing, but defied God, defied his authority. The other tenants are us. We are the new tenants in God's vineyard. Those to whom God gives his vineyard when he takes it away from the first tenants, Jews and Gentiles alike in God's church. We are the new tenants. If we honor God, if we acknowledge his authority in our lives and give him the good fruit he deserves from our lives, then we are the other tenants to whom God gives his vineyard. And we get to enjoy all of its sweet fruits. We are the people who have been blessed with all God's promises, with the knowledge of God, with the light of daily fellowship with him, And we gratefully receive God's blessings and pay back blessings of praise and honor and good deeds. The fruit of lives lived for the glory of the God who loves us so much that he gave his own son to die in payment for our sins with his own body and blood to bring us peace with God. We believe 
Our society believes, and we as Christians believe, that people should receive the benefits of their labor and of their investments. How much more should God receive all the benefits of his kindness to us? All the good fruit that his kindness is intended to arouse in our lives. So let's take Jesus' parable here, the parable of the tenants, as a warning to honor God and to give him the good fruit that he deserves in our lives. And let's also take it as a word of hope, a message of joy for us who are faithful tenants in his vineyard, daily honoring the Lord. He loves us so much that he does everything he can to bring us peace with him. Most of all, he gave us Jesus. And as we honor him, we get to enjoy all the sweet fruits of his vineyard. So honor God in your life this week. Think of him as the owner of the vineyard of his blessings, the vineyard whose sweet fruits you enjoy. Give him all the good fruits that he deserves this week. Follow his son and enjoy that sweet fruit of peace with God and all his blessings. May God bless you this week. May we honor him faithfully together. Let's pray together. We are very grateful, our dear God, that you have uh, graciously blessed us with the vineyard of your blessings, your kingdom, your hope, the vineyard of uh, fellowship with the church and uh, knowledge of God. You have granted to us so many blessings. Lord, this has been a hard year for us. We just this past week uh, marked the one-year anniversary of the declaration of an official global pandemic, and we have uh, suffered in some ways this past year, and some of us have lost a loved one or a friend or have a friend who has lost someone they love. Lord, you, uh, you have been with us through this hard year, and we acknowledge, Lord, that even in a difficult year, you have blessed us richly in many different ways. We do not take the fruit of your vineyard for granted as if it were our own, but we are grateful to you for every blessing. And so, Lord, as we express our gratitude to you, bless us this week that we may honor you with good fruit in our lives. Lord, if we have the opportunity to do good for someone in the name of Jesus, let us do it. If we have the opportunity to study your word, let us do it. If we have the opportunity to pray for someone, let us do it. Lord, if we have the opportunity to live in integrity and honesty, uh, doing what is right, let us do it. Lord, if we can be some kind of light for you this week, let us be that light. Just let us be faithful to you, Lord, and give you the good fruit that you deserve. For you have been so kind to us. You are uh, the owner of the vineyard that we, uh, that we work and uh, from which we get such sweet fruit. And we honor you. Lord, thank you for being our provider. Thank you for being our God. Thank you most of all for Jesus. Lord, watch over your church this week. Help us. Bless us. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, grant that uh, we may be able to reopen more fully uh, very soon to be a greater blessing to one another and to the people all around us and so that we may all be uh, back together uh, in person again soon. Lead us in that direction, please, Lord, and bless us along the way. We give you thanks. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.